Jamel kind of expedited the songs there. Usually we sing a few more. Um, I asked them to, and I appreciate that. I know uh, it's important to prepare our hearts, right? But we have a lot to do tonight, and uh, I think Jamel was, I felt like he was looking at me, and he must have been like, he must have been like, oh, he really wants to get up here. I, I wasn't being anxious. I was just deep in thought, brother. So anyway, um, well, we want to pick up on where we left off this morning and uh, open your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And to just maybe recap a little bit, we wanted to pick up on a couple of key thoughts and develop a few key thoughts in this chapter. And this morning we began and we attempted to develop the thought and the idea that we are called to be mimics of God. We are called to imitate God. And then there's a phrase there, uh, as dear children, right? As dear children. You know, we look and we see our children and when they're young, they're, someone asked me the other day, it must be easier for you now that most of your children are older? And the answer to that question is no. It was easier when I, can, when I could command them. <laughs> and now I kind of have to prod them and figure it all out. You know, it's a little more complicated. But God calls us to imitate him as dear children, right? And we learned that, that we are commanded the way that we imitate God is by walking in love, right? It's a love walk. And the extent of our loving is, is determined by the extent of our ability to forgive. And the extent of our ability to forgive is dependent upon the depth of the forgiveness that we understand has been given to us. And so it builds one on top of the other. And so this morning, we were told that we were to mimic God. And we understand that this is not something that we can do. It's not something that we can kind of just kind of gear, you know, we were watching the soccer game today and they kind of, you know, get all geared up for it. And, and, you know, they play hard and they go through. It's, it's not like that. Because it is not natural for us to love. It is not natural for us to mimic God. It's quite unnatural because the Scriptures teach us that we're born in sin. And that the heart of man is continually evil has all kinds of wickedness. So we have a dilemma. We're called to mimic God. We're called to, to, to be imitators of God. We're called, commanded, not requested, not suggested, but commanded to walk in love via forgiveness and being forgiven. But we can't do it in our own strength. And so this evening... We're going to find out how it is accomplished in the Christian's life. How does the Christian walk in love? How does 
the Christian mimic God. And look with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 18 through 21. And here we're going to develop the thought that we are to be, we are to live a spirit-filled life. It says here in verse 18, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And this is such a wonderful, fantastic passage. And I am so fortunate, I am so grateful that I have been given the responsibility to look into this because it has in many ways regenerated an appreciation in my own life and created a caution for me, as it, is, as it is, as it were, to be careful of how I live. Right? Do you realize that if Ephesians 5.18 was not in this book, the book of Ephesians or the book of Colossians or the book of Philippians or any of the commandments that the Lord has commanded could not be fulfilled. If this verse was not here, the whole book could not be fulfilled. It would be useless. Because it says, do not be drunk with wine and which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, if this one book was removed, this one verse was removed, you would have, you would have the great engine, right? And you would have the great vehicle that described in chapters 1, 2, and 3. You would have your road map described in chapters 1. Four, five, and six. But you wouldn't have any fuel to get the thing going because this is the fuel that moves along those commands. This is the fuel that gives you the ability to respond to the command walk worthy. It's the fuel that gets us going. If it wasn't for this verse, we'd be functioning completely in the flesh. And apart from this verse in chapter 5, be filled with the Spirit, we would have no ability to fulfill any of it. You know, in many ways, this is the heart of the whole matter. It's the energy of the worthy walk. It's the key of Christian life. It's the bottom line. This is the bottom line. You know, you could never walk in humility. You, we could not walk in unity. We could not walk in a, a, a separate from the world's ways. We could not walk in the light. We could not walk in love. And definitely, you couldn't walk in wisdom unless... You are energized by the Spirit of God. It just is not possible. The life of God in the soul is the only thing that can produce this kind of living. 
the life of God in our soul. You see how this works out? Such a fantastic, pivotal, pivotal verse. A Christian must do it whatever he does. He must do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And it's kind of confusing in our contemporary society, isn't it? What does it mean to be filled in the power of the Holy Spirit? Many people would think that it's some kind of a divine zap, you know? There's this thing that happens to you, and you saw it on television. Hits the guy's head and falls back. You know, that's how some people are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some think it's speaking in tongues. If you speak in tongues, you got it. If you don't speak in tongues, well, you know, you don't have it. And, and it's, they sort of isolate you, you know, and, and, and they zap you, and, and, and you're zapped, and you're unzapped, and, and you know, it, it's, it's kind of an ecstatic experience. You've seen it, right? That's how some people think it is. There are people on the one hand who say it's when you get some ecstatic zap, but then all the way on the other hand, there's the other people who say it's some stoically, just a simple recognition. And it never really has any effect or any position. It has nothing really. It's just something that happens. Well, the fact of the matter is, and I think most of us here will agree, if not all of us, that both of those positions are wrong. Because that's not what the scriptures teach. It's not a stoic kind of a thing, and it's not some kind of a, a, ecstatic experience. It's not either one of those. The filling of the Spirit it is, in, ver- in fact, it's a very, very profound reality. And it's important for us to understand exactly what it is, to understand the best we are able to. And that's what we're going to attempt to do tonight. Now let me, first of all, We want to look at the contrast that we have here. And by the way, this whole chapter is contrast, right? There's contrast. There's be imitators of God, you know, uh, but don't be the fornicators. Don't be this, you know. Uh, And then here we have the contrast. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And we need to point out, as I did this morning, that... uh, Drunkenness, in the time when this was written, drunkenness was a method used by the pagan religions to induce a supposed communion with their deities. And this is what he's talking about. You know, in other words, it wasn't a social issue. Like when we talk about drinking, it's more of a social issue. But here it wasn't. He's talking about it primarily... Although, you know, certainly it is true. Before you were a Christian, you were getting drunk, right? But now that you're a Christian and you become a Christian, you shouldn't get drunk. Because it's not fitting for the believer to be drunk. And it is a true social element. But here it is more than that. It's a theological issue and this is what he really focuses in on 
the pagans, they'd be drunk and they, and they felt that it would induce some kind of a high religious experience, a consciousness to help them commune with their gods. And Paul points out that the Christian doesn't find his joy there. Paul points out that the Christian finds his joy. We find our exhilaration. We find our communion with God and the basis of our worship, the motivation of our fellowship is being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the contrast. Now, this particular contrast is common in the Bible, in the scriptures. And and, and matter of fact, we'll look at a couple of others. We'll look at one in particular. If you'll turn over to uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 1, verse 15, this is just an example. It says in Luke 1, 15, and this is regarding John the Baptist. It says, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Right? He shall be great in the sight of the Lord. And here's one of the things that will characterize characterize him as being great. It says here, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And that's the same contrast that the Apostle Paul is talking about. The same kind of a thing. He's not going to be a drinker. He's going to be spirit-filled. He's not going to have his religious attitudes induced by wine or strong drink, but by the Spirit of God. And, And he will not be influenced on the inside by drinking, But the influence on the inside is by the Spirit of God. Do you see the contrast there? He's not going to be motivated with with what alcohol does to his brain, but by what the Spirit of God does to his mind. It's, It's awesome to think how practical this is. In other words, he's going to be guided by the Spirit of God in contrast to that which guides so many people in their drunkenness. So let's go back over to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Go back over to Ephesians, and that's just some groundwork here we're setting. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, we find that comparison, be not drunk. Now, what he's saying is that this is something, and by the way, just like in verse 1, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. This is what I command you. God says, I demand you to be filled with the Spirit of God, or I command you, demand might not be the right emphasis there. And, but in the Greek language, which is good to understand it a little bit, in the Greek language, um, there is the indicative mode, okay? And the indicative mode kind of makes a, a statement of fact. 
And then there is the imperative mode. And the imperative mode is a command. And this is in the imperative mode. And if you were to try to figure out exactly what it says, it would say this. The word parao means be, being, kept, filled with the Spirit. Be, being, kept, filled with the Spirit. And it's a command for the believer. It's not an option. Do you know that there are some Christians who are never really committed to this principle? And this is why it just kind of hit me like a rock. Because I almost forgot about this. And true. You know, there are all of us. At some time or the other, we fail to fulfill this in our own lives. But listen. The Lord has commanded us to be filled with the Spirit and anything less than that is basically flagrant disobedience. I know this sounds harsh, but it's right here before us. It's disobedience not to be conscientious about this. And if your life is characterized by that kind of disobedience, 1 John says what? talked about it this morning. You're not a Christian. I don't care what you say. Before God and according to His Word, you're not a Christian. Now, let's talk specifically about what the filling, what does it mean? You know, by the way, true Christians whose faith is real, they're not going to be content to deny the Lordship of Christ. They're just not going to be content. To not be conscientious that Jesus is Lord in their life. And just as well, a true, true Christians whose, whose faith is real, they're not going to be content in denying the filling of the Holy Spirit. They're going to want it. So let's take a look and see what it means. And we're going to kind of move along here. So hang here with me, okay? Specifically, what does it mean being filled with the Spirit? First point. Let me make this clear. And I think we're going to elaborate on this. We're going to develop this thought. The first point is, is that every Christian possesses the Holy Spirit in his fullness. Every Christian possesses the Holy Spirit in his fullness. Every Christian. And we're going to, I want to show you what the Bible says. Look with me over in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And there's many ways we can go. We don't have time. Joanne said to me this morning, she said, this is something that should be taking six weeks for us to be going through. These are studies that it's hard to just pick things out. You know, there's so much in here. Romans chapter 8. Scroll down with me to um, Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. It says, <clears throat> You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, what's that say? Does not belong to Him. Does not belong to him. If you're a Christian, 
You're in the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you're not in the flesh. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Point blank. Right? Now, look at the middle of the verse here. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. In other words, when you're a Christian, you're in the Spirit because the Spirit of God dwells in you. And then at the end of the verse it says, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. See? It's very clear. It's uncomplicated. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's not that you're carnal. We're not going to even go there. It's not that you're carnal. It's that you haven't gotten him. And it's not that you haven't gotten him yet. It's that you're not saved. That's the only that's the only place we can go from here. Right? If anybody doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. And then it's the transverse as well. You know, if anyone belongs to Christ, he has the Spirit. And it's a simple statement. But look at the end of verse 9. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And then in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of Righteousness. So we are crucifying what? The body. Right? In other words, if you're a Christian with Christ in you, you possess the Holy Spirit. Now, have we developed that point yet? You as a Christian possess the Spirit. He's there in the fullness. He's there in totality. There's, there's no doses. There's no... There's no Oh, God, give me more of the Spirit. And some of our little choruses, give me more of... No, it ain't like that. Right? You have the fullness of the Spirit, and He's totally there. Every believer possesses the Spirit. There's another important verse that's going to help us to... Is cogulate a word? Like, does that mean mix it together? I don't know. We'll use it. You someone look it up. Google it, right? Or ask Siri. Right. There's another important verse that's going to help us to understand what the filling of the Holy Spirit is. And that's found over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Maybe if you'll turn there with me. And these are very familiar verses, very familiar thoughts. We just want to put them together to get a, better, to get a good understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, down in verse 13. It says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, right? So all believers have taken in the spirit. All believers have been baptized into the body of Christ. And, and let me say this. Let me tell you this. That the baptism of the spirit is not an experience. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not some mystical experience. It's not some experiential. You don't feel it. You, you don't even really know when it happens. You don't know when it happens. It is merely, you can't experience, it doesn't happen, nothing physically happens to you, you know, when this happens. Because here it tells us that by one spirit we were baptized into the body of Christ. So the baptism of the Spirit of God is the act 
by which the Holy Spirit puts you into the body of Christ when you believe. Boom, that's it. It is a theological reality, not an experience. It is a pure fact that this is what God does. It's not an experience. The baptizer, it says, it's, it's, it's an, not, it, by which Christ, and Christ is the baptizer. The baptizer, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, places you in the body. So, when you're saved, you're put in the body of Christ. And then the end of that verse says, what does it say in, at the end of uh, verse uh, 13? And all have been made to drink into one spirit. And all have been made to drink. And this is so, this is for every believer. Every believer drinks in this. It says it right here. Now, go back. We're going to look at another verse that kind of hopefully moves us closer to an understanding. We'll stay in 1 Corinthians. And we want to go to chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. And here... The Apostle Paul was, telling the, was talking to the Corinthians about their immorality. And, you know, they were, like the Ephesians, committing all forms of, uh, you know, uh, immorality, both spiritual. You know, they, they had uh, idol worshipers. There was drunkenness. There was just all kinds of corruption going on. I mean, if you... If you want to know, if you want to do some fascinating study, study the history of the Roman Empire in the beginning days in before Christ, like 500 B.C. It was a corrupt place. It was a brutal place to live. And the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthians. And of course, the Roman Empire had such a huge influence on the whole known world at that time. All of that influence just kind of flowed into those cultures. And he's telling them and talking to them about their immorality, about, about their lifestyle. They were committing fornication. There were harlotries. And, and they were just doing all kinds of rotten, evil, kind of like today. Right? <laughs> and you would expect the Apostle Paul to say something to them like, well, why don't you get the Holy Spirit so you can get your life straightened out? Because we're commanded to have the Holy Spirit, right? You would think he would say that, but he doesn't say that. Look over in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. You know, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, you Corinthians, uh, you need the Holy Spirit. If you would just get the Holy Spirit, this wouldn't be such a big problem. On the contrary, what does he say? What? <laughs> know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. He says, you better stop acting like that because you're defiling the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God that's in you. That's what he's saying. He's not telling them to get the Spirit. He's telling them you're corrupting it in your own life. And so, 
You don't, you know, you know, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says, don't you know you're defiling it? You see, even when Christians live in sin, the Holy Spirit is still there. Right? The Holy Spirit's still there. He's there. He's just being defiled. Right? You know, if you want to see another verse, look over in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. It says, Grieve not the Spirit of God. And 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Quench not the Spirit. You know, you quench the Spirit of God. You can pour the water of sin over the fire of holiness. And that's what he's telling them here. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. So, you see, every believer possesses the Spirit. Is that clear? We're clear with that, right? If any man have not the Spirit, he's none of his. Every believer is baptized into the body. He drinks of the Spirit. Every believer is the temple of the Spirit of God. Okay. So what does it mean to be filled? Did we already discuss that? No, we're going to do that now. Well, in the first place, it's the very opposite of the pagan kind of filling. The pagan ex ecstasy. It's the very opposite. And the, the, the verb, it's a verb form, be filled. And it, it's, it's a, the, literally, it's a present tense passive. And we already talked about it. It means be, being, kept, filled with the Spirit. And the idea of be being kept it's a constant. Be being kept. It's a constant. You don't say, oops, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I guess that's it for the rest of my life. It doesn't happen like that. Right? Be being filled. Be being kept filled moment by moment by moment. Day by day by day. It's not once and for all. In that sense. You know, it's not a zapper here and there. It's a moment-by-moment-by-moment-by-moment by moment by moment activity. You may be baptized into the body. You may be indwelt by the Spirit. You may be sealed by the Spirit unto the day of redemption. But you know something? You can live your Christian life in defeat if you don't know what it is to experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. The moment-by-moment be being kept continually filled. And that's what the, the, the idea is here. It expresses the idea of a moment-by-moment moment continual work. Now, the word um, a plureo, or plurao, it means it was used in the Greek world. It was used of a wind filling a sail and billowing the sail out and moving the ship along. You know, when we say that the sails are filled with the wind, that's what Paul's talking about here. It's, it's to be carried along, to be, to be moved along, to, to, to have the thrust of your life, to, to have the energy of your life and the pressure of your life be the power of the Spirit of God. That's one way to think about it. Another way this is kind of defined and understood is a way that it's used. 
And that's the idea, and I'm sure you're familiar with these, with pleuroo, is permeation. And the best illustration for that would be what? Salt, right? Salt. And um, salt permeates. And, and in fact, it permeates in such a way that if you put enough salt on something, it will preserve it, right? Right? But when you want to eat something, I don't know if you do, I, I bought some peanuts the other day from Publix because they were buy one, get one free. I'm not like, you know, soliciting Publix or anything. But for some reason or the other, you know how they do it. They put it out there and then you buy these things. You don't really look at what you bought. And the ones I got, it was so disappointing. They were lightly salted. <laughs> Who eats lightly salted peanuts? I want some salt on them things. You know? So... The, the idea is you put salt on it, and what does it do? It gives it flavor. It brings it out. It permeates the whole thing so that the whole thing is flavored. And that's the idea here. Your life is to be flavored by the Spirit of God. And when people rub up against you, they go, He must have been around Jesus. Right? Do you like to be accused of that? I hope so. So that's the second use. But, but the idea here that the dominant thought here in the mind as compared with the gospel record particularly, the dominant use of pleuroo is to speak of control. To speak of total control. And that's the idea he has here. You got the idea of moving along. You got the idea of permeating. Right? But here he says, be in total control of the Holy Spirit. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, this guy is a fanatic. What are you talking about? How does that work? And we're going to get to that, okay? But I want to give a couple of illustrations to help us wrap our mind about, around this. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Matthew 4, and believe me, when I was studying and I ran across some of these ideas, I was like, I was blown away by this. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 4 says this, verse 1 says this. Then was Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. So Jesus was being led up by the Spirit. Here's the Holy Spirit operating in the life of the Lord Jesus. And the Holy Spirit led Jesus, right? Now, go with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 4. Same situation. It's the same, the, the same, you know, the same thing, the same situation, the same incident. In Luke chapter 4, in verse 1. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, and it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay? So he's being led by the Spirit. Now, what was the condition by which the Spirit led him? What was Jesus' condition in, in Luke chapter 4? He was what? It says that he was full of the Spirit. Right? He was, he, he, he was full of the Spirit. You see, what being 
filled with the Spirit means? It means to be led by the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit. Now, let's go to one more. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And uh, Mark chapter 1. I think I have it marked here. And I think it's verse 12. Mark chapter 1 verse. And here again we have the same incident. The temptation of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 1 verse 12 it says. And immediately the spirit. And it uses the word. The next word it uses. The Greek word is ekbalo. And balo means to throw. And ek is the word. The Greek verb for out. So he says here. And immediately the spirit drives, Ekbalo, drives him into the wilderness. Okay? And that's a really strong word, Ekbalo. Just think about it. He drove him into the wilderness. He thrust him into the wilderness. In other words, Jesus himself was under the power, the control of the spirit of God. So the spirit of God literally drove him where he wanted him to go. The third person of the Trinity. It's amazing to think of that. He was controlled by the Spirit of God, and that's why later on, when they would come up to him, and they would accuse him, and they would say to Jesus, what you do, you do by the power of Satan. You know what Jesus responded to them? He says, you're not blaspheming me. You're blaspheming the Spirit. You're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he was led by the Spirit of God. You see? It's powerful when you think about it. Listen. To be filled with the Spirit, it's that same thing. It's the idea of being driven by God. Of being moved. And there's not a lot of people who are like this. You know? There's not a lot. I miss Rachel. Being moved of the Spirit of God. Of being permeated by the Spirit of God. Of being controlled by the Spirit of God. That's the issue we have here. Now, I want to show you something else. You know, unless you're that way, in some way or the other, unless we are that way, we can't be used. God can't use us. He can't use us if we don't allow the Spirit to move us. Because then what are we doing? Working in the flesh. It's a waste of time for God to try to work in us. Because we're sinners. Functioning in the flesh, you know what that reaps? A big fat zero. You get nothing. You get nothing. And whenever the Lord wants to do a job... Whenever he wants a job done, do you know who he looks for? Someone full with the Spirit. And let's look at a couple of illustrations. In Acts chapter 6, you don't have to go there, but I'll just let you know. Acts chapter 6 and verse 5, you know, they needed someone for a special job. Right? And so, what were the qualifications? Acts chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, And the saying pleased the multitude... And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. 
Why did they choose Stephen? Because he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And then later on in chapter 7, in verse 55, it says, But being full of the Holy Spirit, but, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And let me tell you something. Do you know why God uses people filled with the Holy Spirit? Because if it comes to the point that you're going to be stoned to death, you aren't going to be able to handle it on your own. You need some help. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened in the life of Stephen. You say, well, what's the meaning of the filling? Or that's the meaning of the filling. But, but how do I get it? And this is going to be the bottom line. How do I get it? Well, I'm going to give you a, a few other simple examples. You know, it, it gonna, it's going to involve some things. And this is going to be challenging. I'm challenged. It's a scary place to go when, when you're so filled with the world stuff. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to involve a surrender of your will. It's, it's, your, it's a surrender of your intellect, your body, your time, your talent, your treasure. Everything is to be surrendered. Do you love him? Everything is to be surrendered to his control. It's the death of self. It's the crucifixion of self. It's the death of you. And if you die, he fills. When you die, then he begins to fill your life. When you empty yourself of yourself, he's going to fill it up with the Spirit of God. It's amazing. Do I keep saying that? Because it is. First, let's see what happens with this. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Do you think the preacher would mark his Bible? Ephesians chapter 5. And very quickly, you see here, it says, Be not drunk with wine, in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. But the first thing we want to do is we want to see what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. This is going to help us out. Here's what happens. You'll speak to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Verse 19. Verse 20 says, You will be thankful. You will give thanks always for all things, even that burnt dinner. You will submit yourself to each other. Verse 22. Spirit-filled wives will submit to their husbands. Verse 25, spirit-filled husbands will love their wives. Chapter 6, verse 1, spirit-filled children will obey their parents. Chapter 6, verse 4, spirit-filled fathers will not provoke their children to wrath. Chapter 6, verse 5, spirit-filled servants will obey, will be obedient. And chapter 6, verse 9, spirit-filled masters will treat their servants right. That's what happens. It's a world changer. You know why the world's not being changed? Now let me show you just one more thing. And this should kind of just bring it all together. And we're going to look at one more uh, scripture. And I'm telling you, this blew me away when I was exposed to this, I guess. I can turn to Colossians chapter 3. 
Colossians chapter 3. And Colossians, this is a, it's, it's a parallel verse. Some of you are going to know where I'm going here. And it's a fabulous, wonderful parallel. Colossians chapter 3, go to verse 16. And in the middle of the verse, it says, Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? And that's exactly what Ephesians 5 was saying, isn't it? Here we go again, just like Ephesians 5, psalms and spiritual songs. All right, look at verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, doing what? Giving thanks. Now, and then we begin to go, the rest of the passage begins to go to the whole same routine again. It's condensed here, but it's the same. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, provoke not your children. Servants, obey your masters. And then in chapter 4 and verse 1, Masters, give your servants what's just and equal. Do you see that? The same sequence. You've got it all right there. You've you, you, you got the singing. You've got the thanks. Submissiveness. Husbands, children, fathers, servants. It's all identical. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, we know what produces that kind of behavior. What is it that produces that kind of behavior? Being, being kept filled with the Spirit, right? But what produces it here in Colossians? It's different. Look in the beginning of verse 16. He says, Let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly in all wisdom. When you let the word of Christ dwell in you, that that effect of being filled with the Spirit is a natural outworking in your life. And just hang on and let me tell you something. Being filled with the Spirit is the same thing as letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's the same thing. It's not that complicated to be filled with the Spirit. It's got to be the same thing because it has the same results. People say, oh, the filling of the Spirit, it's so mystical. It's ununderstandable. Not understandable. You know, no. The filling of the Spirit is taking the Word that Christ has given us and letting it dwell in our hearts. Is that amazing? If you want to be filled with the Spirit, feed yourself on the Word of Christ. That's as easy as it can be. Is it that hard? Feed yourself on the Word of Christ. And as you're fed and as you're filled with the Word and, and, and its results indwelling in you, the, it says the plusios, the, the, it abundantly, richly, the fullness, you'll find yourself coming under control of the Spirit of God. Who's the author of the Word of Christ? The Spirit is. The Spirit is. And when you pour the Word in, it becomes the thing that controls us. This is a very wonderful thing for me to relearn. <laughs> it's a simple thing, and there's no reason for us to make it confusing 
So when we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, can we do it? It can be done, right? Not on our own, but as the words of Christ fill our spirit and, and, and it begins to dominate our life. If you want to know what it is to be Spirit-filled, then feed yourself with the Word of God. Because when the Word goes in, the Spirit has that truth with which He can give you the direction and the guidance to live a happy Christian life. Right? That's wonderful. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you for the powerfulness of it. We thank you for the simplicity. We thank you that you haven't given us commands that we cannot uh, 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 perform. We thank you, Father, that the Spirit of God, as it richly grows in us, as we study on your word, we can learn to be controlled by the Spirit. And what a great place to be. I don't want to be in charge anymore anyway because I know how to mess it up. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the work of the Holy Spirit. In his name I pray. Amen.